0: Hello, I am Jay Goodwin, and you're listening to Pay It Forward. Today on Pay It Forward, we have Tia Cummings. Tia is a strategic brand and general manager with over 15 years of post-MBA experience and a passion for building strong consumer brands. She's been consistently praised for cross-functional team leadership, strategic and analytical thinking, finding and leveraging consumer insights, developing talent, p management, creating integrated marketing campaigns, and commercialization. And recently, she has become Senior Vice President, Global Brand Marketing Lead at Square. So first, Tia, uh, congratulations. And second, thank you. thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today.
1: Absolutely. Happy to be here.
0: Yes. So I always start these off with uh, simple stuff. So like, where are you from and what did you think you were going to be when you were growing up?
1: Oh, oh, that's a good one. So where am I from? It's kind of complicated. We moved a lot growing up. Um, my dad's career kind of just took us everywhere. But I went to high school in Chesapeake, Virginia. Okay. So I, I will claim that. And what did I wanna be when I grew up? I wanted to be a scientist. So my father's a scientist. Um, he has his PhD in physical organic chemistry. And so I was going to do the same. I was going to major in chemistry, get my PhD and and go into the science field.
0: Hmm. Okay, so let's flashback uh, to when you were in school. I feel like that's a great segue. So- <laughs> You went to Hampton and got your BS in chemical engineering. Um, yes. So first, I kind of wanted to just like you know hear a little bit about your experience attending an HBCU because yeah. my mom went to Benedict College in South
2: Carolina. Oh yes, um,
0: and I went to the University of South Carolina, so I didn't go to an HBCU. Uh. And at my last agency, I got to work with some of the AUC institutions here in Atlanta <laughs> and. I got to visit the campus and I just had like this intense, like, <laughs> not regret, but like what could have been, you know, like, mm-hmm. this feeling of like, wow, like this place, is like I was supposed <laughs> to go here. Like, so um, when you look back on your time at Hampton, like, what was that like? What was, what was that time like for you?
1: Yeah. Well, first shout out to Benedict, my aunt went there also. Mm. Um, we're big HBCU people in my family. And I really have to credit my parents. They were the ones who really pushed me. To go to an HBCU. My dad went to HBCUs, my mom didn't, and she did not have the best experience, Mm. especially this would have been, you know, in the 70s in the South. And so they were very, very adamant that their kids go to HBCUs um, for undergrad, at least to get that strong foundation. And then if we chose to pursue, you know, postgraduate education, we could go elsewhere. Um, I am so grateful and thankful to them for that push if not for them, I probably wouldn't have, like, it just wasn't on my radar.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but the experience that you get as an HBCU, it, it's really unlike anything else. You won't get that kind of opportunity elsewhere um, where you are free to just be who you are. You don't have to worry about any of the stresses that we deal with, the microaggressions and things mm-hmm. that come with, you know, being black in America. Yeah. And so for that time period, you're almost, you're almost in a bubble, but not quite because they're preparing you for the real world, right? So I hear the arguments like, oh, going to HBCU, that's not realistic. You know, you're going to have to deal with other people when you leave school. It's like, yes, you will. But you will, while you're at that HBCU, you will get to build your confidence. You will receive the tools need to set you up for success um, once you go into the real world. And the one thing I will say is you just feel like you know, the faculty is that they care about you at HBCU. Like yeah. they are going to check. on You don't show up for class <laughs> and your professor noticed you weren't in class yesterday, Ms. Cummings. What's going on? You know, that's not going to happen if you go to like a big PWI where you get lost and you're mm-hmm. just a number. Um, I never felt like that um, at my HBCU. And then just the relationships that I built, the friendships that I have to this day. Right. And we're not going to talk about how long ago I graduated, (laughs) Um, but it was a long time ago. And, you know, there these friendships just last a lifetime. And even beyond the friendships that I made while on campus, the alumni network. Mm, Yes. Let me tell you, you know, people say, oh, alumni network, like I could go to Harvard or Duke or something that alumni That HBCU alumni network is a family. Mm -hmm. And when people are going through things and they need help, support, money, whatever it is, don't even have to know you, but just the community. Oh, you're Hampton, you need help? We're there, right? Um, Job opportunities, people want to hire. Hey, I need to hire someone to do this. Anyone know any alum who do? Like, it is hype. And I'm in several of these Hampton like online groups and I've made so many friends post-graduation just through the alumni network so it, i encourage i really really do um i would like to send my kids there one day whenever i have kids but like it's just i think it's an invaluable experience and i highly encourage any young black person out there looking at colleges to take a look at HBCUs. i think they'll be surprised by what they would find
0: yeah yeah no absolutely i mean that sounds really similar. So, so the work I was doing way back when, um, was with Spelman and we were working yeah. on, um, uh, alumni giving and that sort of thing. So we got to talk mm-hmm. to a bunch of alumni and alumni, um, for Spellman. but, uh, <laughs> I mean, they had some of the same like stories, like, you know, I'm talking folks who graduated back in the seventies and they're like, Oh no, I know like, <laughs> like everybody I
1: so like I die. It's, yep.
0: Yeah, I mean it's a, it's, a, it's so beautiful to hear that. Um so I know earlier you mentioned that that science kind of runs in the family. Um what drew you specifically to chemical engineering?
1: Yeah, so I started off as a chemistry major. Like mm-hmm. I said, I, that's what I wanted to do as a kid. I was trying to be like my dad. And um it was funny, my freshman year My father was the one who said, you know, I really think you should take a look at chemical engineering. He's like, just on the off chance that you don't end up going to get your PhD, Mm -hmm. an engineering degree is going to take you further, you know, with a bachelor's. And uh, I had no clue what chemical engineering was, but, you know, I tended to listen to my father. He gave good career advice. He was successful. (laughs) I wanted wanted to be successful. So I said, okay, dad, so... Second semester of freshman year, I um, changed my major from chemistry to chemical engineering. Um, but again, I still thought, but I'll still end up going to get a PhD and I'll probably go into research and development in some industry. You know, I didn't know what, but my father had worked in R&D in consumer products and uh, oil and gas. Mm-hmm. And so I just assumed, yeah, you know what, I'll end up going to work in research and development for some big company too.
0: Yeah. So after you graduated, I guess that, that was the, that was the thought, right? While you were in school. Right? But- <laughs> oh,
1: but that changed. That yeah. changed even before I graduated. <laughs>
0: okay. So, so tell me what changed. Tell me what changed. Yeah. I, I know what so, happened next. So tell me what
1: changed. Yeah. 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 So the summer after my sophomore year, I did a research internship at North Carolina State University and the whole point of the program is you get to work with Ph.D. students, right, and chemical engineering Ph.D. students and learn from them and kind of see what it would be like. I hated it. <laughs> oh, I was miserable that entire summer. I absolutely hated everything about doing research in the lab. as a mm. PhD. It was so monotonous and boring and I just run the same experiments all day. It was I, I came back my junior year. I said, oh, no yeah I was like I will not be going to get a PhD and uh, this is is not for me but I was like that's fine I don't need a PhD right because my dad told me with this engineering degree I could still get a great job Mm -hmm. you know when I graduate in research and development so the next summer summer after my junior year I got an internship at Procter & Gamble Mm -hmm. and I worked in research and development on Tampers Mm
2: -hmm. uh,
1: which was it was fun like I am basically was designing new diaper prototypes and trying to figure out how do you make diapers better, more yeah. absorbent, better fit. And so I was like, this is what, I like, okay, this is kind of what my dad does, right? He's building these products that people buy and use every day. That's cool. But what I also got exposed to that summer is marketing. Mm-hmm. Because who was telling me what I, they needed me to make and what they needed it to do, was coming from marketing. I'm like, well, who are these people who are making all the decisions? Like, (laughs) I wanna be a decision maker. I don't wanna (laughs) just be the one over here doing. And so I went back my senior year of college and I'm like, well, I'm about to graduate with a chemical engineering degree, but I think I wanna work in marketing because those people are making the calls. Right, right, right. (laughs) So that's what happened. So senior year, I started applying to graduate school, business school, Mm -hmm. at the same time that i was also like taking job interviews to play both sides right because it's like with business school for most mba programs they want you to have work experience first Mm -hmm. so i was like "Mm -hmm, but i don't want to do that i'm just going to apply and see if i get in but i'm also going to you know interview for some jobs because if i don't get into school i need to have a job yeah um and it worked out for me i did get job offer Got a great job offer, actually, from Johnson & Johnson mm-hmm. to go be an engineer, R&D, working on, you know, Johnson's Baby Pride, all those things. But I also did get into business school. And so I said, I'm going to go. Like, I'm just going to go get my MBA and see if I can't make this move into marketing now, as opposed to working for a few years and going back to school and, and all that. So that's what happened.
0: Yeah. I mean, that that's so amazing. It's like... Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it just sounds to me so like there's, like you said, there's the, the chicken and the egg thing with like, do you yeah. go try to get your MBA or do you need the work experience? But like, it sounds yeah. like that wasn't, and a lot of people kind of stop there, right? And be like, okay, yep, I'll, I'll just go work somewhere. Whereas for you, it's more like, well, let me see what I can make happen, right? Like, I, I love that. So take the
1: chance, man. Yeah. Like, the worst that happens is if you, you don't get in. It's like, okay, but why not? I've always been a risk taker. I take chances. I bet on myself all the time when it comes to my career and my growth. Always bet on me.
0: Seems to have worked out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It has. I've been very fortunate. I can't lie. Can't lie.
0: (laughs) So, um, I mean, this is, this is episode 16 of the Mm -hmm. podcast and you're the first really senior guest that I've been able to have on the podcast. And I was, I was, stalking your LinkedIn, just writing down some of the roles you've had. And it was like this cartoon moment, like my, as I was, as I kept going, I'm just like, like my eyes keep getting wider. My jaw keeps hitting the floor. Right. And it's like, okay. You've had like some amazing roles. Like like some people, I feel like, um, they, they go in, they think they want to do marketing. They go into marketing and they have like this idea of like what the, the ideal career looks like. Right. I feel like, I feel like yours is it. (laughs) for like a lot of people. (laughs) Um, so can you talk me through uh some of the roles you've had? Um, and I'll just I don't know if I should read them, I'm I'm gonna read them, I guess. So, like, uh, manager of community affairs at United Technology Corporation, assistant product director at JJ, marketing director at L'Oreal, uh, brand manager and senior brand manager at Kellogg, uh, global director of brand at IHG, VP marketing at uh, Walker and Company, and now uh, SVP global brand at Square, like, as you look back through, well, first of all, can you talk me through some of those and kind of how the journey was? And then um, as a corollary, like, are there, as you look back, are there things that you learned or experiences you had that have really stuck with you as you've gone throughout these roles throughout your career?
1: Oh, man. Yes. So many things that I've learned. (laughs) Um, So I I went to business school, and actually the summer in between first and second year, you're supposed to do a, an internship. I did. I had a brand internship at Johnson & Johnson and uh, working in, in beauty. And then second year went back. The whole point was, again, to go get what would be an assistant brand manager job. I did not take a, a, a real marketing job when I left business school. And people like, you just said you went to business school to go do brand marketing. I'm like, yep, I did but I was also very young and I was still trying to figure out like, but am I sure? Cause I haven't really done much, right? Yeah. Like I've had my PNG internship and I had a, I had an internship actually at craft the summer after I graduated before I started um, again, another engineering internship. And then I had my brand internship at Johnson Johnson. I was like, I've never done anything else. And I got recruited by United technologies company, uh, which is a big corporation. So like, They owned Otis Elevators, Mm. which is 80% of the elevator market. Pratt Whitney Jet Engines, which make commercial and military engines that are on a large majority of of aircraft. Yeah, And a bunch of other, like the carrier air conditioners and helicopters, like they make industrials.
0: Yeah, they sounds like important engineering. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yes. Yes. And they're like, oh, we would love you to come work for us and do a rotational program. And you can work in one of our marketing teams. But again... Very different, mm-hmm. you, you know, and try other things. So I did that. And I worked in marketing for six months. It was three, six-month rotations. Okay. I worked in technology strategy for six months. And then my last job, I think I learned the most. I actually worked as a supervisor in one of our jet engine repair facilities. Interesting. So a plant Yeah. and it's unionized hourly workers. And I'm a supervisor for a team of 20, People working on these engines. And I'm like 23, 24 years old at the time. And I'm supposed to be a boss helping, you know, ensure that this plant area is running smoothly, efficiently, safely. Mm -hmm. It was such a hard job.
0: Oh my God. And at 23,
1: you know, these people are looking at me like, who are you? You're, the, <laughs> you're like young enough to be my granddaughter. How are you supposed to be my boss? I've been working here for 30 years and more than you've been alive. Yeah, like... of, you know? And <laughs> I tell you what I learned a lot about. I learned a lot about influence. Mm. Right. And um, how do you persuade people to make them want to work for you and do their best for you? Because, yeah, even though I was technically the boss, what I found in a union environment, union workers have so much power. Yeah. And they could just disregard anything I say. And I didn't really have a ton of things that I could do like to make them do. So I learned how to persuade. I learned how to influence Yeah. and make them love me. And how do you build people, rally them around the common vision and a common goal to make them want to work hard? Yeah. And I tell you, it was one of the hardest jobs I had, but I learned so much. And um, that has stuck with me over the years. The skills yeah. that I learned in that job, I still
0: leverage today. Well, let me ask you this. What are some of the, um, uh, as you look back on that time, what are some of the, the, the soft skills that you had to work on as you were learning some of those things? And the reason I ask is because if it's June now, probably back in February, I, uh, I finally read uh, the Dale Carnegie book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. yeah. And yeah. That, that word, I got it circled on this paper over here, like it just <laughs> jumped out of me. What um, were some of the the soft skills that yeah. you sort of learn, especially being 23? That's so, that's so, like, I'm so intrigued.
1: You, you learn, you learn, um, I learned by watching other people fail. Mm. So what I will tell you is there were other uh, supervisors who'd come in, like me, young MBAs, you know, in their mid-20s. And they're like, oh, I'm going to show these guys who's boss. But they failed miserably because... They didn't take the time to do what I did. It started off just by trying to learn, right? I came off very humble and telling the team, look guys, I recognize I'm young. I've never worked in a plant before. I don't know anything about jet engines, right? I'm here because of this education I have. And that's why they put me in this position of leadership. But I know enough that I I know I need to trust you guys and you guys are going to have to help me right and so i took i was humble that's the first thing people like that in a leader right not coming in as a know-it-all um and then taking the time to spend um with each of the members of the team like talk to me about what you do like what is it like repairing this part And how does this machine work you know showing an interest beyond just okay i gotta cut costs and i gotta make sure we're delivering on time and boom 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 like no, let me take this time to show interest. Like, okay, you've been doing this job. You've been here for 30 years. Talk to me about it. You obviously know a lot. Yeah. Um, and then again, it's that common vision, that common goal. It's like, hey guys. Yet, it's not just me being held accountable for, hey, do we get this jet engine repaired and out there on time back to Delta? Um, you know, but like, think about how important the work is that we're doing, right? If these engines aren't repaired on time, that's planes grounded, right? Mm. That's people who can't travel to do what they need to do. I was like, so as a team, and if we really take pride in the work we do, we should want to do it as well as we can, as fast as we can, and as safely as we can. It's like, so we're all accountable to these metrics, right? Not just me. Yeah. And, and, and then the final thing, I was just, I was a friendly person, right? I'm not one of those bosses that's just like beating down on people and, you know, treating them as less than because I'm the boss. That's just never been my M.O., And I find that when people like working with you, they'll work harder for you. Mm. Uh, And I think I earned their respect because I came in and was just so different, like I said, from a lot of them, previous supervisors who just thought they were hot shots. I didn't act that way. I didn't act like I was better than them, right? I came in to learn and to see how can we make this operation run better, right? Because of, yeah, the educational principles I have may help me allow to do some things in principle, that will work, but if I don't get y'all to do it in action, <laughs> it's all useless. Yeah. Um, and so, and that's really what I did. And yeah. um, I built their trust, right? And um, and that allowed me to be really successful in that role. Yeah. So that's what I tell people. I was like, you know, that servant leadership is a term that's talked a lot about now. I had never heard that term back then, mm. but I truly believe it. Like, my job is to help you. Do your job better, right? And really come, like I said, with humility and with a desire to learn, and just a desire to make the team succeed. It's, it's never been about me, me, me. What can I do to make myself look? No, no, no. Us. Yeah. And people appreciate that. And as I said, it stuck with me my entire career, um, and it has been a big reason for my success because I'm able to rally teams to work together, to want to work for me and to want to do their best work for me. Mm. Um, and, and then I end up, I end up winning.
0: Yeah. I mean, you win, everybody wins, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And if everybody
0: wins. You win. Um, exactly. We, I thought we were going to come to this later, but I know that there was, there was something you mentioned. Um, when we first talked a couple of weeks ago and it was like this idea of how hard it is to be a really good boss or a really good manager. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. I mean, it sounds like, you know, like for you to have such a formative experience as far as your, your growth as a manager way back then, I mean, not way back then, that sounds wrong. Yeah, it was
1: like
0: way back then. It's okay. It was, I, it I really was. Out, I came out the wrong way. I meant earlier in your career. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just seems like it set you up like for such a, such a great foundation for like, just, you know, that just being woven into like who you are, you know? Um, so that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I want you to keep going. Yeah. Like, where, where did you go after that? And, and, and how yeah. did it did yeah, yeah, yeah. keep unfolding?
1: Yeah. So, um, and yeah, we can definitely talk more about how hard it is to be a manager. That'll come up more as we get some of my other leadership roles. Um, so that was the last rotation in that program that I did. And so then I was looking for, well, where do I go in the company for my full-time assignment? And that's when I went to corporate headquarters to do community affairs, which was basically um, CSR, right? Corporate Social Responsibility. Gotcha. And that term was just coming into use back then. But that's what it was, right? Helping the company develop a positive image in the communities we were in by you know, donating to nonprofits and, and all of that good stuff. So I did that for a year and a half. And in total, I spent three years at UTC. And by then I was like, you know what? I do think I'm going to do brand marketing. I think <laughs> what I did way back in that internship, JV, mm-hmm. that's what I want to do. And so I started looking for a new job. And luckily I was able to go back to Johnson & Johnson. <laughs> it just kept popping up in my career. Yeah, um, I was able to go back to Johnson & Johnson and start off as an ABM, right? An assistant brand manager. And um it was great. Oh my God. I loved everything about it. Like, I, I viewed being um, a brand person as like running this business yeah. and everything about it, right? I'm like responsible for like the packaging design and the pricing and any promotions we run and working with sales and how does it look on shelf and, of course, advertising and forecasting. Like, are we producing enough production? Like, it's everything. And I loved that. So it, it was just like, this is, this is great. I made the right decision, right? Yeah. So I was at J&J for like three and a half years. I worked on some really commodity brands, nothing sexy. I worked on pads, like feminine hygiene mm-hmm. and toothbrushes. But um, I learned a lot about fundamentals yeah. of brand yeah, yeah. management, right? And then I left to go to Pinnacle Foods and I was a brand manager on Bird's Eye Frozen Meals. Um, so a lot of people know birds eye frozen vegetables, but they also made the frozen skillet meals. And again, just so it went from personal care to food and it's like, okay, is this any different? How does this work? Um, nope, it's all the same. So I learned the fundamentals (laughs) of marketing, no matter what, if you're working in consumer products, Mm. right. Where you basically sell your product at Walmart or targeted the fundamentals of marketing do not change. Um, but it was still good for me to work in these different experience. I left Pinnacle. I went to L'Oreal. Mm-hmm. So work worked in beauty, high-end beauty. Um, L'Oreal wasn't a good fit for me. And I learned that very early on. Um, and a, I, a big lesson I learned after that, right? I got kind of dazzled by, ooh, it's L'Oreal. It's high-end beauty, New York mm-hmm. City, glamorous. And I did not do my homework on investigating. Is this a company I actually want to work for? Mm-hmm. What's their culture like? Am I yeah. going to fit in here? I didn't do any of that because I was just blinded by the big city lights. And I learned very quickly, oh, no, this is this is not this is not a fit for me. Yeah, um, I was miserable. And um, so I, I left. I actually left without having another job, which mm. is something people tell you never to do. Like, no, just pick it out. Look for your job. It's easier to find a job when you have a job. But the other thing I'll say, you know, what's more important? Self-care, there you mental go. health. <laughs> yes. And my mental health was suffering being in that environment. It was toxic. Yeah. And I, so I said, I can't just stick it out. I was like, I have faith. You know, I know I'm good. I have, I, I can find another job, even without having this. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. so I left, and I had a glorious few months being unemployed <laughs> while I was looking, <laughs> like while I was looking for a new job, and uh, I found a great new job at Kellogg's. Gotcha. Yeah. And that's when I moved to Michigan uh, to go work for Kellogg. Great company culture. Got to work on some really awesome brands, big brands. And that this was the first time where I actually got to do a lot of advertising and media. Because mm. before I'd worked on some of the smaller, like I said, commodity brands, where it was all about blocking and tackling and some of the, the fundamentals of like, okay, pricing and trade promotions and those types. They want spending big you know, media budget, right. Kellogg's was still spending big media, budgets. they got the money. (laughs) Yeah. So I was like, man, I'm doing TV spots and big media plans and working with agencies and doing all these big campaigns. Oh my God. I had so much fun. So Frosted Moonweeds, Pop-Tarts I had that was the most fun job I've ever had. um, Working on Pop-Tarts and I just got to do great work. And I'd say I really came into my own as a marketer, like mm-hmm. I feel like I really honed my strategic marketing chops during my time at Kellogg's. Yeah, and I also had one of my favorite bosses, um, who I still talk to to this day, and credit her with showing me how to be a really great leader. Alita Chase, <laughs> she knows. Like I said, I still talk to her, and um, showing like how do you be a tough leader that pulls the best out of your people while still supporting them. Yeah. Um, and so Kellogg's was a fantastic experience for me. I would not be the marketer I am today if I had not gone to Kellogg's, and I can say that mm. wholeheartedly. Um, and then I, at that point, like I'd been in CPG brand marketing for 10 years, and I was like, this is great. I was like, but I kind of want to try marketing something different because like I said, whether it was food or beauty, or script, it's all the same. Like yeah. the fundamentals of what you do, processes you follow are the same. I said, let's try something different. And I was like, you know what? I love to travel. Let me see if I can go work for an airline or a hotel company. Yeah. Let me get some perks on the side. There we go. And so I started interviewing and um ended up getting the job at IHD hotels. And most people aren't familiar with IHD as a name because there's no real equity in IHD, but you know, it's Holiday Inn, Holiday Inn Express, uh, Intercontinental, Kempton, like. A huge portfolio. It's the third largest hotel company in the world, right? Marriott, Hilton, IHG. And uh, that was very different from CPG. It was much more pure marketing. But what I loved about it is it also gave me my first global experience mm. and getting to do global marketing and global campaigns and working with people around the world, right? Like I had um, teammates in Australia and the UK and China that I'm working with. And- How do you translate an idea how this brand that yes it's a u.s founded brand but we are now on every continent except antarctica right (laughs) and we're in a hundred over a hundred countries like how do you make this brand relevant in all of these markets and so that was a fascinating challenge to get that global experience
0: yeah yeah for sure um Mm -hmm. ihg at my last agency my director and another senior strategist came from IHG, IHG and I think Ooh. I I'm fairly sure they're a client of where I work now at Iris um so okay s- small world um, very small world so well I, I know we have a, a couple more places to get to um just a this, couple we're almost to the end now I'm, I'm, not, I'm not rushing I'm, I'm just trying to keep them uh, I've got a, a list over here of things I want to come touch back on because you this yeah is such a rich story so
1: <laughs> Yeah, and. Um, So IHP, right, was going well and I wasn't looking to leave yet, right? I'm like, okay, this is good. And I got a call from not even a headhunter because she's not a typical recruiter. Um, But this woman who does work in like talent management, if you will, and she said, she sent me a note on LinkedIn and it was like, hi Tia, you know, you don't know me but I'm trying to help a friend fill a role at Walker & Company Brands, right? Walker & Company, for those who don't know, it's a health and beauty company. makes products for people of color. They had been recently acquired by Procter & Gamble about six months before I got this email. And she's like, they're moving their headquarters from the Bay Area to Atlanta, and they need a VP of marketing. And I uh, met a woman recently who said she saw you speak at a marketing conference and she thought that I should reach out to you. I didn't know this woman who saw me speak. She didn't know me, but she was, I guess, impressed enough to tell, hey, you know, I saw this woman you should just look for her on LinkedIn. Maybe you you can, right? And, and, And so again, another lesson, like building your personal brand, networking, putting yourself out there, you never know who, is going to help you find your next opportunity. A stranger sitting in an audience mm-hmm. passed my name to this woman who then called me to say, hey, love to talk to you about this role. I, I, I couldn't plan that, right? That's not, but it, it was, again, just shows the importance of always networking, always working on building your personal brand because yeah. you never know who's looking. You never know who's looking. And so originally I was like, oh, I'm flattered, but oh, I'm not in the market because I was happy at IHD, you know? And uh, she was like, well, I just think you'd be a perfect fit. Can we at least have a conversation? So we have the conversation. Then they introduced me to the team at Walker. You know, I interviewed with Tristan, who's the CEO and founder. And they end up offering me this job. And I was so torn um, because a lot of my other moves like I was ready for a change, right? right. I was actively looking. And then this one, I wasn't, I was being sought out before I was ready. And so I was talking to my mentors and I have mentors, everyone should, it doesn't matter how senior you are in your career. Uh, mentors who I look up to, I aspire to be like, these are CMOs and I want to be a CMO. And I was talking to them and they're like, Tia, you have to take this job. It's an new opportunity, startup environment. I'd never worked in a startup, right? I'd always worked for these global multi-billion dollar companies. Yeah. And even though Walker had been acquired by a global multi-billion dollar company, it was still running independent, right? Yeah, like exactly. it was acquired really in name only. And it's like, hey, you keep doing what you're doing. And so it was an opportunity to help build a young brand, a new brand, right? I'd always worked on established iconic American brands that've been around for 50 years or more and it's like, this is new and I can mm-hmm. sort of help build it. And so that was compelling. And then it was multicultural, making products for people that look like me. Yeah. Okay. I will, I will take a chance. And so that's when I went to Walker and, and co and that was in November of 2019. And this is why I will tell you, God makes no mistakes, right? Cause I was wrestling with that decision. It was so hard to leave IHG. They were sad to see me go. Senior leadership was like, if you ever want to come back, you can come back but three months later we're in COVID and the hotel industry is decimated yep. and massive layoffs. And for so imagine if I had stayed, I might not have had a job. I don't it's, know. Yeah. And so it's just like, wow. Like how, I couldn't plan that. Didn't know COVID was coming in November, but um, I ended up jumping to a company, you know, that was very stable with, you know, beauty, personal care, grooming, these are people are still showering and shaving <laughs> yeah, and everything during the, <laughs> right? during the pandemic. So it was, it was just so fortuitous that I moved there and um, it was super cool. It reminded me almost going back to what I said about HBCUs, right? I'm in this environment that's all about people of color. Mm-hmm. And it's like, man, I never thought I'd get to work in an environment like this. And the things that I got to do to really support the Black community while there was just amazing. And the time period, right, with 2020, so much going on that was negatively impacting African-Americans, like with COVID and that economic impact and with George Floyd and the fight for racial justice and just all this attention. And what are we doing to support Black people? And here I am at a place that's all about supporting Black people and able to have a voice and not have to censor myself you know, and edit myself and be very vocal about what we can do and want to do to support the black community. And so it was amazing. And it was the perfect role at the perfect time. Yeah. And, um, a startup environment was so different again, fewer resources. I learned my capabilities as the marketer when it's like, okay, I don't have a big team to do this work. I I have to do a lot of it myself now. Um, but it was, it was good, right? It was a great, great challenge. And then once again, I'm just minding my business <laughs> and wasn't looking for anything new. And once again, on LinkedIn, someone slides into my DMs. Uh-huh. This time, it's an HR woman from Square. Don't know how Square found me. And she says, hey, we've got this role. Uh, would love to talk to you about it. And I'm like, I have zero tech experience. I have zero financial services experience. This is a pretty senior role. Why? I didn't say this, but in my head, I'm like, why are they trying to talk to me about this job? And I said, okay, well, you know, I can always have a conversation. Don't have to take to see what Never hurts to have a conversation. And so had that, had all these interviews, did not think that I would actually get this job. Let me say that. I did not think I was going to get this job. Not because I doubt myself. As we, I think I am great. I'm a strong marketer. I think I'm a great marketing leader. But because, like I said, I have no tech experience. I have no financial services. And my assumption was just that, hey, they're going to want someone with tech or financial services for this type of big job. Mm-hmm. But no, they wanted me. <laughs> and They wanted me badly. Yeah. And, you know, and it showed in like, they're like, you are it. We need your lead- We need you to come in here and help us drive brand. And I said, oh my God, here I am again. I wasn't ready to leave Walker. I had only been there a year and a half. Yeah. So like I said, I had, hadn't been looking for a new job, but here is this amazing opportunity to grow and learn and challenge myself. And so once again, I went to my mentors and they're like, Tia, yeah, you have to take this job. <laughs> and I'm like, Pat, I'm not ready." You have to take this job. You said you want to be CMO. You said you want to be like us. This job is gonna be a great step to help you get there. Absolutely. And so I took the job. And here we are, the start of week three. I just <laughs> <laughs> so that's my career journey up to where I am now.
0: Oh, that's so amazing. I mean, that's yeah, that's awesome. I feel like yeah, there's there's so much um so much to take away from, from how you've gotten to where you are and the work you put in to get where you are. Um, and there's a a handful of things I wrote down. There was one where you talked about going to Kellogg and, and having that experience, uh, in a global sort of environment and working with agencies and that sort of thing. I think we'll probably come back to that. Um, uh, as far as the, uh, the sort of random, um, recruited, but not recruited, uh, people slide into your DMs um, on LinkedIn. That actually <laughs> is how I got the, the job that I started in March, end of March. Um, nice. I met a strategist <clears throat> on Twitter, and I'm, I'm I'm fairly new to being a strategist. Um, part of the reason I fell in love with strategy was because I did an internship, and I was like, oh, that's that's the thing, like it's just like you, that experience you had. And I met this strategist. Her name is Mary on Twitter. We never met in person we were supposed to at one yeah. point she was in Atlanta and now she's back in New York. So we still have not met in person. She gave my name to uh, a guy named Jesse, who is a recruiter, but not a recruiter. We just like, we talked on the phone for like, it's supposed to be 30 minutes turned into like an hour and a half. We're like, Oh, wow. I was spilling my guts about like my relationship with my dad. He was telling me about like, and we were just like best friends. Like having this deep conversation uh the first time we met and like i wasn't looking to leave my job either so it's like um that that, that's immediately what's coming to my mind when you were talking yeah
1: be open when these opportunities present themselves i think sometimes people shut themselves off like oh no i'm not looking or oh i don't think i can get this job i'm not qualified for right they talk themselves out Mm -hmm. have the conversation it's free it costs you nothing yeah Learn, go through the interview process. Exactly. Worst case, you at least get some practice interviewing, right? Um, And just see what happens because you don't know. There might be a great opportunity there for you that you didn't see for yourself, right? That just was meant to be.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of how I went. I was like, well, at the very least, I will either prove or disprove to myself that I could do strategy somewhere else. Yep. You know, sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't happen to work out this time. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, mentors seem to be a recurring theme that we'll, we'll, we'll touch on in a second. Um, but I wanted to go back to something we kind of, um, you know, you mentioned it earlier and it was like this idea of not being a good fit. Um, mm. and whether that's culture, just the, the job itself, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. and so I want to ask you this in a, in a different way, and sort of just ask you, like, have there been, um, as you look back, major obstacles that you've had to overcome, whether it be something like sort of the experience that you mentioned about, like, not being a good fit and, and being in a terrible mm-hmm. sort of uh, mental space as a result of that job, and and sort of how do you sort to start to overcome those sorts of things?
1: Yeah, and what I will tell you about that experience is, it wasn't a good fit. And um, the manager I had wasn't great for me and really made me doubt my abilities mm. and made me think that I wasn't smart enough and I wasn't good enough. Um, and that was something I really had to deal with as I was looking for my next job. And when I got to Kellogg's, right, I was like, okay, I got this job. I'm here. Whew, okay, can I do this job? Right. Cause I I had started to doubt, and this is what happens when you have let people get into your head and you have that bad experience and you let it make you question what you're capable of doing. And Mm -hmm. I had to remind myself that, no, I, I am a good marketer, right? I am a great marketer actually. And just because that role wasn't a fit and me and that manager didn't mesh well, doesn't mean that I cannot be great and that I cannot succeed.
0: Yeah, especially and, with the, the track record of success, right? Like,
1: Yeah, but at that point, I was so earlier in my career, right? Yeah, I was I get only that. maybe five years in, five yeah. years in. And, yeah. and so, um, and I've come across people who have the same thing. They've had leaders and worked at companies that made them doubt mm. their abilities and what they were able to do. And I have to remind them, so I'm like, go back and look at what you've done. Look at how successful you've been. Look at the wins that you've had. Don't let this one speed bump mm. cause you to doubt yourself and your capabilities. Don't let it hold you back because once you start to question, right, you could easily see yourself going into this self-fulfilling prophecy. You start to think I can't do it. So then I can't do it or then you don't do it. And then you're right. And so don't let that happen, right? Remind yourself. And so I tell people, I was like remind yourself, no, I'm great. I know it. I can do this right and encourage yourself yeah. to get out of that hole before you get stuck. Um, and then, like you said, right, I've bounced back in my career since it's just been like this. And so, um, I think that was really the biggest career hurdle that I have faced is knowing that to let other people tell you what you are capable of and what you can do. And the other thing I will say is don't let other people hold you back. Cause one of the other reasons, um, that I have made moves is when I start to feel like a company doesn't appreciate me mm. for what I'm bringing to the table right. if I do not feel like, uh, you know, I'm being valued or if I notice other people who don't look like me getting promoted, who may not have my experience or my capabilities. Mm-hmm.
2: Like, and I question, like,
1: what's going on here? Right. I And companies ask, oh, well, just, you know, wait. No, I'm not going to wait because mm. I know I'm ready now and I can. I'm going to go elsewhere. And I'm, I've done that. And that's why I said, you have to bet on yourself. Mm. Don't let these companies tell you what you're capable of, what you're ready for. Oh, you're not ready for promotion. Mm, Am I though? Because you promoted this person and I've got more years of experience and I've got more wins and I've seen the failures that they've had. So why are they ready and I'm not? Cricket. Mm. Usually they can't answer because (laughs) there is no real, (laughs) there's there's no no real justification. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. And so I have never let that hold me back. And so I've never been afraid to sort of jump ship yeah. And I find people get comfortable and they stay in one place. They're like, "Well, you know, it's a good job. They pay me enough. I'm just going to ride this out." Nope, not me. On to the next, yeah. where I can be appreciated and valued, um, and get the promotions I deserve, and and so on.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and kind of on the other on the other side of of. Um, I guess kind of what we're talking about is that the the space you allow other people to sort of occupy whether that be in your head or your career right so yes on the other side of that you mentioned at least three or four times where mentors have come kind of stepped in and been yeah like, um, you take a job like so tell me about um, yeah. how you've how you've built those relationships with those mentors where where did they start where did they kind yeah of, you know, how did that work
1: most of my mentors started with people who, you know, I worked with or had exposure to at companies that I worked for mm. um, and I see a leader who I get exposed to and I'm like, man, I really admire that person. I think I could learn a lot from them. I'm going to ask them to be my mentor, plain and simple. I think a lot of people get scared, like, oh, I can't go ask that VP or whatever to be my mentor. like, what would? It... But nine times out of 10, the person is flattered and they're like, oh, absolutely. People like to share what they know, right? Yeah. And so that's how I got them, right? Um, people who I respected and admired and just asked, hey, would you be willing to mentor me? I really, you know, I'm, I'm just so, I respect what you've done. I admire the way you do your job and, and the success you've seen. And I think I could learn a lot from you. And then I nurture those relationships because that's the other thing is it really is on the mentee to drive the relationship. Because if you're asking someone who's a senior leader to be your mentor, odds are they're really, really busy. And so don't waste their time. And when you schedule meetings, come with an agenda, be prepared. um, And it's on you to drive that relationship forward. I tell you, one of my other mentors, and this is, it's so funny to me. And she's a more recent mentor, right? Since like last year, Mm -hmm. we worked together at Kellogg's and were almost peers, I'll say we were maybe a year or so apart. I was a brand manager. hadn't been promoted to senior manager yet. And she was already a senior brand manager. Gotcha. She left to go work for Google. She was at Google for six years and then became the CMO of Kimberly Clark. Okay. <laughs> and I was like...
0: <laughs> like, I mean, she
1: <laughs> six years ago, we were just like down here. Come on, Now you're way out here at this yeah. global, you know, multi billion dollar company. And I will never forget. I reached out to her as soon as I saw that announcement on LinkedIn. I reached out. I was like, yo, first, congratulations. That is amazing. That is a meteor rise. Super senior manager to CMO I mean, in six years. That's crazy. In six years. And, uh, I was like, you gonna have to teach me, your weight. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> you know, I was like, I just, I need to learn from you. Yeah. And like, cause this is amazing. And, you know, and it's a woman of color too. So Ew, yeah, even better. I, uh, <laughs> so, you know, and now she has become a mentor who I go to when I'm trying to, to figure things out and will continue to be, especially now that I'm in tech and she has tech experience. So, uh, you know, just look out for mentors around you. And, and by the way, they don't always have to be senior executives, right? Like oftentimes I may have picked someone who was just one level ahead. So if I was a senior manager, a manager, a director, if I was a director, a VP, um, but there are such thing as peer mentors, right? Or people who just have such a great background and experience and you're just impressed from them when you sit in meetings, but you can learn from them too. So Mentors really could be anywhere um, is what I tell you. Mine, luckily, I've been able to find them through the companies I've worked for, but I'm in so many marketing organizations and networking groups. Um, people find mentors that way. Yeah. A lot of people have found me randomly on LinkedIn. I get, I get messages from young people on LinkedIn. I don't know how they, you know, maybe they saw me speak somewhere, whatever, but they send me a message. Did you schedule some time? Can I schedule some time with you just to pick your brain and learn? Sure. So you know, you can find a mentor in so many places. So I can't say here's where you go. It's just think about is this someone who you think you can learn from, who you admire their point of view, um, and who you think would be a good person to sort of help you grow. Yeah, and that's that's been my approach.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and um, something else that you touched on earlier. Um, that I wanted to bring up is, is this uh, something I know you're passionate about, which is brand purpose um, and, and yeah. really making, making marketing meaningful. And I, I heard you talk yeah. it, um, a bit when you talked about uh, your work at Kellogg's and also, especially yeah. IHG, um, Walker and Company, especially, Walker. I heard you talk about yeah. that. Right so, yeah. so when you, when you think about uh, brand purpose and, and meaningful marketing, um, can you parse that out for, for me a little bit? Like what what comes to mind for you and and what are the markers or I guess as you're thinking about it, like criteria for, for what really makes marketing meaningful to you?
1: Yeah, I think the most meaningful and purposeful marketing is that which is addressing your consumer's needs, right? It's marketing that starts, with the consumer you're trying to serve mm-hmm. and it's about them and how can I help them? How can I enhance their life or make it better versus, Hey, I just have this product. You need to buy it. Right. right. That's to me and not a lot of brands do it well because so many brands get focused on, well, I just got to sell this product. And so I'm just going to tell you hey, here it is. Here are all these benefits and features without getting to know their consumer really, really well. And so, you know, I talked about it a lot at Walker because the time frame that I was at Walker, our consumers were struggling, Yeah, right? They were struggling because of COVID and people who were losing jobs and, you know, didn't have enough money. And they were struggling mentally because of George Floyd and the fight for racial justice was just weighing on them. And so as a brand, we had a decision to make. So yeah, we can continue to talk about our shave kit and our body wash, or we can talk to them about what do you need right now? How can we help you? Right? If we say as a brand, we exist to support, like Bevel specifically, right? we exist to support Black men look and feel their best. Yes, helping them look and feel the best is giving them a clean shave and all and, and things like that. But it also goes inside yeah. looking and feeling your best. And so it's like, let's dig deeper there. And that allows you to establish that emotional connection with your consumer so that they see you in a different light. And then it's like, you know what? I want to support your brand because you supported me first. And that's how I feel like a lot of smart brands win. Yeah. And that's how we were able to do some really great things at Walker, right? That helped us really get a ton of attention in the marketplace. And it wasn't because we were, out there trying to sell our product it was the attention we were getting because wow this is a brand who should be just focused on selling as much product and making as much money who's doing things that cost them money to help us
2: Hmm.
1: and people were like what what yes (laughs) and you know and we benefit they're like i'm gonna support them because of that and i think if more brands took that consumer first approach to marketing they would see that it really does pay dividends, especially long term. But again, to do brand purpose work and to do it right, you have to take the long view. You really have to dig deep, like I said, to understand your consumer and what you can offer as a brand to meet those consumer needs and to align those consumer values with your brand values. And a lot of companies are just, they just want to do the shortcut. No, I'm just going to pour a bunch of money in advertising and try to convince them that my brand is the best regardless of whether it is that's what they need or want to hear right now
0: right right and when you when you do when you do it well it feels like such a departure for the norm from the norm yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> it, <laughs> you mentioned the body wash and uh, I'm literally on a subscription uh, so I can't do body I love wash.
1: it this is great and it's we make great products that's the yep. thing right like we already knew we make great products and we told people we make great products but if you you know just lost your job or if you are like devastated because you're seeing, you know, black person after black person get killed by the like the last thing you want to see, and all of a sudden you open your phone and like, and here's our <laughs> new body. Like that's not what your your mindset isn't there. Completely. But you know what place. your mindset, right? Your place is like, but if you open up and you see the brand devil saying, We know you're going through a hard time. We want to help you. Um Here's a free subscription to Headspace, a mental health app to help you, you know, so you don't have to pay for it, right? For the next 30 days, it's free, no strings attached. You don't to buy nothing. You don't have to give us your name, email address for us to market to you later. Nope, take this and go do some self-care. Yeah, That's what you needed to hear in that moment. And we were the brand to serve you that. So guess what? When you do need to go buy somebody body wash, you're like, you know what? That get, what they gave me was well worth more than this $10 bottle yeah. of body wash. I can support them and buy that after what they did for me. And that, that's the difference. Yeah, right?
0: Let me go get that uh, Supreme Oak. There you go. <laughs>
1: I'm a dark, deceased person myself, Got but you, you
0: know. <laughs> um, <sighs> are there any any brands that you think are are killing it in this in this regard which is taking that long view and really taking the time to say you know let's let's take a step back let's really understand who we're talking to where they are mentally um, yeah. not just where their wallet is
1: yeah um, beyond devil or some bias i i honestly think p&g does this really well as okay. a parent company which is why uh, i think they were the perfect company to acquire walker and why i'm really grateful to have you know been part of that organization you know and they've been doing it for years that's the other thing right you had a lot of companies come out last year trying to be like oh we're here we support you but you know companies like png been doing this since you know let's call it 2014 when they released that ad the talk mm-hmm. about black parents having to talk to their kids about how to handle police right that was Well, before 2020, right? You, the black, my black is beautiful. That's been out over, I don't know how many years, over 20 years. I feel like that platform, right? And, um, and then you even like their non multicultural work, but you look at things they did, like for all weight, feminine hygiene pads. It's very, again, commodity. No one wants to talk about periods and pads, but they're like a girl campaign when they Mm -hmm. came out talking about, like, oh, you throw like a girl, you hit like, and talking about, no, girls are strong and the strength of what, like, they are really, really good at digging into those insights because they spend so much time understanding their consumer and talking to them in ways that no one else is. And to me, that's, that's the type of brand that does it right. Um, Johnson & Johnson, Johnson's baby. Oh my God, I feel like 10, 15 years ago, I would see those ads as a young woman, kids not on the radar, ads would make me cry. Talking... <laughs> having a baby changes everything. It's, it's right, that emotional connection and talking about like being a new mom and what does that mean? And like, again, someone who can't even relate, like <laughs> didn't have kids, wasn't even thinking about it at that point, my God. <laughs> but like, oh like it just touches you. These are the brands who take the time yeah. to really understand their consumer and create work that is meaningful, that resonates, that you're still thinking about all of these years later.
0: As you look back um, throughout the different companies you've been at and throughout all the different agencies you've, you've worked with, um, what do you think is, is some of the best work that you've been able to put out into the world?
1: Oh, that's a tough question. It's like making me pick one, one of my favorite children. Like who, <laughs> who does that? I don't have any children, but at this point, my campaigns are like my yeah. babies. I don't know if I could pick a favorite, right? Because I've had some that were just amazing. There were some at Kellogg's that I did that I feel will really break through that won awards, mm-hmm. um, which is awesome. Um, the work at IHG, getting to do a global campaign, my first time, like something that launched in the U.S. and Canada, and Mexico, and U.K. and China all at once. Like, that's meaningful. But I, I mean, if I have to pick, it really may have to be the last campaign that I launched at Walker and co with devil. And again, it was just because it launched last year. It was a love letter to black men mm. in a time period where black men were not feeling loved. And it was personal. Yeah. And, you know, I usually work with agencies to come up with creative kind of concepts. I'm not a creative person. I'm a marketer. I'm a strategist, but I came up with that concept. I wrote that love letter that ended up being in the ad. Nice. I don't expect to create another ad campaign in the future. <laughs> and I don't want to. Again, I, I respect creative agencies and what they do so much. And it is not easy. But especially in a startup environment where I didn't have a lot of money anyway to be able to afford you know, a lot of agencies to work on things. Because I felt so close to our target consumer and could relate to what was going on as a Black person in America, even though I'm a woman and not a man. Like, it just, this idea, this inspiration is just like, you know what? We need to be showing Black men that we love them and appreciate them. Like, I think that's what they need to hear right now. And, you know, it was so powerful. And the response that we got, right? People like, wow, like... I mean, Thank that's... you, Bevel. No one is talking to us like this. I feel seen. I feel appreciated. I feel valued. You know, and to me, that is something I will always be so proud of that work, um, because I think it was the right message at the right time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, I don't even have words for that. Just the, the, the just hearing you talk about it, I am I'm transported yeah. back to like that time because I I actually remember when when the video, like everybody was watching it, I I had it like held off. I was like, I can't, I can't do that. I can't Uh refuse. And then I was sitting in this room and it was like the middle of a a work day. And I I was on Twitter just scrolling and I ended up watching it and I just sat there and you know, video goes off and I just sat there and for about 30 minutes. And I called my mom and I just bawled my eyes out, crying to my mom, Uh like (laughs) grown man, just like ugly crying and, You know, like, yeah, I mean, just, I think that, you know, people all, you know, people tend to say, like, you know, meet your consumers where they are and and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times it's just empty words, but, like, that, I think, is such a beautiful example of of just really radically understanding all the intricacies of those emotions that were going on, like, nationwide, but specifically, you know, with... Mm -hmm black men. Right. And so yep. I applaud you for that. Um, I mean, that was such a huge moment and, and still yeah. is continues to be right. Yep. And, um, mm-hmm. you mentioned not to change the subject too drastically, but you mentioned, um, having a smaller team and mm-hmm. having to do a lot on your own, um, or with a small team. Mm-hmm. So as, as a client, um, what have been some of the best And if you want to mention them, some of the worst experiences you've had working with agencies.
1: Uh, Some of the best I've had uh, were, I think, especially at some of my agency partners when I was at Kellogg's were just amazing. And that they really felt just like an extension of the brand team, right? Mm -hmm. They were integrated. They knew how the business was doing, what was going on. And just, you talk about a high-performing team. With that and I had a roster of right? But like we were just making stuff happen. And I think to me, the best experiences are when they do act like an extension of your brand team. And so they are concerned with how the business is doing and they're thinking through that lens. Some of the challenges I've had with agencies are when, unfortunately, it's usually on the creative side where they're <laughs> pushing this idea and it misses the mark, you know, because hey, you were very clear in the brief, but they just, they think this idea is it, and they want to fight you on it, and they're not looking through the eyes of the client. Like, you're not thinking about it like I am, which is through the ends of the consumer. Right. You're thinking from your end. like, I love this idea I just came up with. And it's like, well, no, I need you to sit and think as a marketer and as the consumer. And so that's usually the, the biggest challenge I have with agencies, right, is creatives who get stuck on an idea and don't want to let it go. Yeah. Um, and you know, they'll try to go around you to your boss and all those (laughs) kinds of things just because they want to push this idea through. Um, but like the best agency partners, like I said, are the ones who really want to be in it with you. Like, yeah, I want to see the business results. Like I want to understand the numbers. I don't want to be removed. Like those are the agency partners I appreciate the most. Which,
0: and, and for both of the, both of those comments you just made, like, Takes me back to earlier when you were talking about uh that rotational program and and learning how to work with people and influence them and that sort of thing. And it like, ugh, that (laughs) that does not sound at all like some of the things that you were talking about earlier, which is, you know, humble, like work with me, Uh, understand where I'm coming from. uh, Put yourself uh in my, you know, like so
1: way to make uh, connections Jay. You know, that is brilliant way to make
0: connections just i'm just if you're trying to influence <laughs> someone to 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 if you're trying to win someone to your way of thinking that's not the way to do it um mm-hmm. and um in our last sort of 15 or so minutes um i just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about management um and and ha- w- what your approach is right so mm-hmm. um obviously you've been in a management position for for a while now and I, and i just wanted to ask like in your experience and um, your philosophy towards management, like what does it take to be a great manager? Like what, what does that look Ooh. like?
1: It takes time, effort, and caring, mm. honestly. Right. Um, it is hard to be a good manager. I say this because like I've got my a job, right? Yes. I lead a team of people. Um, but even outside that i usually got my own responsibilities I have a boss but as a manager I've got to ensure I'm supporting my team of people and setting them up to do their job as best as they can am I helping them break down barriers am I helping them prioritize work am I helping them focus if they're having a personal issue and need support am I helping them with that like it's almost like you can't you have to step outside of yourself it's not all about you I guess it's kind of some I don't have kids, so let me caveat this, but I kind of imagine it's similar that you have to care about these other people, right? And I find the best managers are the ones who care and they show that they care, right? So for example, I just started my new role. I've got a big team. I've got my direct reports, but then they have their own, Mm -hmm. you know, direct reports and some, you know, and so on. And I said, okay, what I want to do within my first few weeks, I want to meet everybody on the team, right? Beyond just, The people who report to me, I want to meet everyone, I want to get to know them. And it just shows that, hey, I care about, I care about you guys as people. Tell me about yourself. You know, what motivates you? You know, what uh, do you love to do at work and outside of work? You know, what are the things you don't like? And so it's important for me. It takes time to do that. mind you. My calendar looks crazy because I'm trying to meet with all these people, (laughs) but it'll help me be a better manager because it's like, okay, well, I know this person needs support here. Or this person, they said they're not very good at this. So if I want to help them grow, I'm going to have to give them opportunities to work on this, Mm. right? And that's where I said, it's just, it takes time and it takes effort Um, and caring just because if you're going to do these things, it's because you care. Um, And to me, that's what my best managers did. Like they were thinking about my career development and my personal development and talking to me about those things. It wasn't just about well, are you doing this job? Are you getting this work done? And I don't care about anything else. You have to care about the full individual. Yeah. Because when they're their best as a person, that's when they will also be their best at work. If there's something going on in their personal life that's distracting them, it's probably gonna show up in their work. Um, and so again, treating them as human beings, <laughs> not just employees. Right. And and that's what I think a lot of people struggle with. And you know, but for me, it's like, I treat them how I want to be treated. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that means letting them shine, not taking credit for their work, not micromanaging, just being there to say, hey, what do you need to be your best? Okay, then that's what I'm here to do.
2: Yeah,
1: It sounds simple. And in principle, it is. But it's the work required to actually do those and the time, right? Your days are longer. You it's just it's tiring, right? You're giving a lot of yourself mm. to a bunch of other people. But um, at the end of the day, I I personally find it very rewarding. I maintain really strong relationships with almost everyone who's ever worked for me
0: yeah.
1: um, at any company and, and staying in touch and it, you know, and I I really I love that.
0: Have there been any life lessons or or just things you've learned about yourself um through managing other people
1: oh that's a good question um yes (laughs) because it's funny when you see you can have blind spots right and then you see someone exhibiting a certain behavior like oh why are they doing that like that's not helping them at all like oh, this person's a perfectionist. They're worried. They don't only want to show me something after it's perfected. And Mm -hmm. like, no, but why don't they come to me earlier? I can help them. And then it's like, oh, oh. (laughs) Things that you do yourself.
2: Mm -hmm. And um,
1: all the time, all the time, you know, like you'd be coaching someone and how, oh, you should do this and help them do this. And you're all the time thinking like, now see, you know, you need to take this (laughs) advice yourself telling somebody else what to do and you not even doing it. Um so a hundred percent, a hundred percent. It will um expose your blind spots, uh, expose your opportunity areas for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I always end uh every episode with the same four just standard questions. So the first of which is is what's something you're reading or listening to or doing, um, like right now, like what, what's something that's on your mind Uh, and what, what about it, um, is particularly like inspiring or what's something you've taken from it?
1: Mm. Uh, one thing I'm doing right now, I am in therapy and I encourage everyone. I think everyone should have a therapist. My gosh. Um, it's just, it is great to have that sort of objective person to help you again, talk through your challenges, issues, bent, point out your blind spots. Um, It is very freeing. And, you know, I think mental health is so important and is often a part of our health that people overlook. Um, Especially if you're someone like me, I'm a recovering perfectionist. (laughs) I've learned that about myself through therapy. Mm. And uh, so that is something that it's, taking that time for me to reflect on how can I be a better happier person and manage all the craziness uh, in my life. So that is definitely something I'm always reading. I'm a big reader, mostly fiction though. So I won't even give you all those sci-fi crazy novels that I read, but, um, but no, therapy is a big one for me.
0: What's the, what's the book at the top of your list? You don't have to give me, (laughs) which one is at the top of your
1: list? No, I just finished a book this weekend and uh, dean Koontz is one of my favorite authors so again it's kind of like thrillers sci-fi suspense kind of weird stuff i just finished that um this weekend um it was like a time travel kind of book that was really interesting yeah yeah the time
0: travel ones are fun
1: yeah so i like i really i'm into sci-fi so yeah
0: okay what is is something that's that's been a challenge for you lately?
1: Challenge for me lately is getting enough sleep.
0: <laughs> Understandable.
1: That's probably my said, biggest
0: challenge. You said three weeks in to the new job. Okay. This is the start of week three. Okay.
1: Um, and and that and so like, you know, how it is a new job drinking from a fire hose, a lot to learn. And I'm already sort of seeing like, oh, there's a lot to do <laughs> to kind of, you know, um make things happen and i see opportunity areas and then even beyond the job like i have volunteer commitments i'm getting married in three and a half months we're buying a house like i've got a lot of personal stuff going on in the midst (laughs) i've got a lot of stuff going on and so my brain is like just running like a hamster on a wheel. So um, I'm trying to be better about getting more rest and sleep and, hmm. you know, shutting down at a decent hour so that I can be productive the next day.
0: Well, I, I promise I'm going to let you go soon. Um... <laughs> <laughs> this is a bad, <laughs> <It's> so early. <laughs> just messing with you. Um, what is, is on the flip side, like what's something that you're really proud of? Like just, you know, this is your, your, your space to brag on yourself. Like what what's oh. something that you're super proud of?
1: You know what? I'm, I think I am proud of my resilience, right? Like everyone, 2020 was a rough year, right? Like even professionally things were going great for me and they were personally, I suffered losses, a lot of loss and, you know, and that's always hard when you lose people you love and your family and, um, Everything that was going on with being isolated through COVID and everything that was going on with the fight for racial justice, just being Black, like it was exhausting. Yeah. And uh, so I, I'm honestly most proud of just my resilience for getting through it and staying positive. And now, you know, I'm in this year where there's so many blessings flowing into my life. Like I said, the home, the husband, the, the new job. And so it's just like, I think being able to hold on to get past all of the the bad stuff. So I'm really like, sure. I'm, there's always career things, but I tell people all the time, like I'm ambitious. I'm all about being successful in my career, but what matters most is the personal stuff. And like, are you taking care of you and, you know, focusing on when you, when you die, you're not, man, I wish I worked more. I wish I made it to CEO. No, (laughs) No, that's that's not, not not, that's not what's coming up. And so, I think I'm just, I'm proud of my resilience and I'm proud that I've really kind of started to figure out this work-life balance mm. thing a bit more.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, things are things sound like they're looking up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, normally the last question is, what's a piece of, advice, uh, piece of advice that you would give to someone who listens to your episode? But I tweaked this last one for you. So this oh. one is, what is the best piece of advice someone has given you and, and then what is one piece of advice you would give to someone who listens to
1: Ooh. um Best piece of advice, take risks, especially, like, especially with your career. Mm. You know, um, Don't be complacent. Don't just stay in one place just because it's comfortable. And, um, and this is a big one, right? So if you're not feeling happy, you're feeling you know, stuck, leave. Go get a new job. If it doesn't work out, okay, you try to do good another job. Like, and I, I just tell people like, take that risk, right? To, to better, so, so that was a really good, you know, piece of advice. And it's really the same piece of advice that I tell people like, bet on yourself. Um, but the other piece of advice I will say is take care of yourself, right? That self-care is critical and you cannot be successful long-term if you aren't taking care of yourself. That's physically and mentally, right? Yeah. That, take time to unplug. I I do think everyone should get a therapist. I realize not everyone can afford a therapist, but you know, those mental health, mindfulness apps, learn to meditate, whatever it is that you think finds you peace and just gives you time to reflect, do that, do that, working, uh, being a workaholic never helped anybody in the long run. And again, someone had to learn that recovering perfectionist, recovering workaholic, but, um, Those are the two things, you know, take risks, bet on yourself, never stay complacent and then take care of yourself.
0: Where can people find you online?
1: Uh, Find me on LinkedIn. I am pretty active on LinkedIn. Uh, Very easy to find Tia Cummings. Uh, And you can also find me on Instagram. I am Tia Cummings.
0: Gotcha. Well, that is a wrap for, for this episode of pay it for it. And, and thank you again so much for, for joining me. Um, I mean, this was an amazing episode. So to everyone listening, uh, you know, please rate, review, like, subscribe, whatever you do to podcasts, pretty much wherever you listen to them. Um, and you can find more about the podcast in general at pay it for podcast on all social channels and the website and the forward is FWD. Thanks.